Hi, Jim Roddy here from the RSPA with some big news before we start today's episode. Registration is now open for Retail Now 2021, the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. Join RSPA and Retail IT Channel leaders live and in person July 25th through 27th at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. Retail Now will have everything you've come to expect from the RSPA, plus several new features. Also, the RSPA is working closely with the Gaylord and will follow CDC and local guidelines and recommendations to ensure our priority remains the health and safety of attendees. For all the details, visit the Retail Now 2021 website at gorspa.org slash retail now. Hope to see you there, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a very special episode for you today. The RSP just published its 2021 POS Channel KPI study. This is the fifth year of the report. And we've invited two veteran channel executives to help us dig deep into the numbers and tell you what it all means for VARs, ISVs, vendors, and distributors. Before we get to our guests, if you want your own copy of the 2021 RSPA POS Channel KPI study, just go to our website, gorspa.org, and either click on blog or just do a quick search for 2021 KPI study, and you'll be one click away from accessing it. All right, our first guest today is Josh Wintoniak, the sales manager at ISV AutoStar CompuSystem Software in Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. Josh has been a member of the AutoStar team for just over 17 years now, and he plays a key role working with their reseller partners. You might recognize Josh from the 2020 RSPA Academy Symposium, where he was a panelist for the session, Marketing Secrets of Successful ISVs. Hey, Josh, great to see you again. Happy to be here. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, wonderful. Great to work with you. Our second special guest is Hunter Allen, who is perhaps best known as the former board chairperson of the RSPA. 24 years ago, Hunter founded Servian Systems, a reseller headquartered in New York, who has led the way for VARs transitioning to the as-a-service business model. Also, Hunter is a member of the Board of Managers for Payment Processor CoCard, and he's managing member of ISV EdgeServe POS Solutions. Hunter, thanks for your time today. Always great to talk with you. Great to be here, Jim. Wonderful. So I think everybody who's listening or viewing uh, this video or audio can understand why we asked both Josh and Hunter to help us analyze the KPI study. So Josh works for an ISV. He engages with many resellers. While Hunter is at his roots a reseller, but he also works closely with an ISV and a payment processor. So their broader perspectives are going to provide an important context to the numbers, not to build them up, too much, but uh, that's really what we're looking for. That's why we brought them on. So Josh and Hunter were the first people to receive text of the 2021 study. They've had about a week and a half to digest it. And so I'm very curious to hear their initial reaction to it. So Hunter, let's start with you. And I want to get as open-ended a question as I can imagine. So the study is about 7,000 words long, plus there's thousands of digits in there. So from all that data, what was the one thing that jumped out to you, Hunter? Uh, thanks, Jim. It, it uh, certainly is comprehensive. Um, I think what jumped out to me in a very reassuring way is that there's still an opportunity for successful businesses to thrive. Um, if you look into all the different ways that you present the data, it was pretty clear to me that it's all not pandemic doom and gloom, and that, that was reassuring. Got it. Great. What specifically did you see in there that was reassuring for you? It's because like I saw, I mean, we won't get into all the details and the numbers here, but it seems like the bottom didn't completely drop out. A lot of people moved backwards, but it wasn't like, you know, people were completely decimated. Is that what you're alluding to? It is. There were, there were clearly, in my opinion, people that had found a way to excel in the, in the current climate. And I think that, you know, that, that to me is interesting as we were, uh, you know, you and I have uh, talked a couple times over the last year, and I think one of the things that we touched on, you know, maybe nine or 10 months ago was that sometimes uh, market downturns present opportunities for small businesses, that it is easier for small businesses to find ways to differentiate and ways to compete on things that are unique to their businesses. And, and so I think that, in my opinion, that flows through in the numbers. There are people out there that are doing things that are being successful for them. 
Got it. Yeah, and they're doing it in a variety of different ways. There's not just just one avenue. I also remember one of the first discussions we had when you know COVID, the COVID crisis started. It was like, when is this thing going to end? And I, you know, you said if I had a clear vision when it could, I could make better decisions. I think we wouldn't have liked the answer if we knew back then when it was going to end, right? It would have provided some clarity. But I can't believe here we are, almost a year later. Um, have this conversation, but you're right. The the gap between now and then, it wasn't as decimating as some anticipated it to be. So, Josh, before we ask you for what jumped, uh, you know, out to you, what's your take on what Hunter said in terms of that uh, there are some opportunities in the channel that folks have taken advantage of? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, we certainly see that as well. You know, as as much as many different businesses have been been challenged during this time. You know, we are also seeing, you know, many businesses reaching out to us and looking to invest in technology that certainly would not have before. They realized they had to pivot. They realized that they had to adjust um, and they, they couldn't continue with business as usual. So, you know, whether it be e-commerce or delivery or, you know, the, the many different ways that, uh, that people are looking to respond to the, the pandemic, um, we've certainly seen an uptick there. And I've, I've heard that from others as well. So. Hunter, you're right. I mean, if, if people are ready to to react and they're ready to uh, to take advantage of those opportunities, I think that they are they are still there. Yeah, that's the thing. The VARs who were offering online ordering already, they were in position to go and offer that uh, to folks, whether it was a grocery store for you know curbside pickup or whether it was a restaurant. But if you were a reseller, you had to go research it. You were kind of behind where where other people were. But yeah, good to see in the study that there were some folks who pivoted faster than I think a lot of folks expected. So okay, so number thing that jumped uh, jumped out to Hunter was about that there's still opportunity. Uh, Josh, your turn. So what was the number one uh, aspect of this year's study that really caught your attention? One of the things that I looked at, and, and of course looking at it from an ISV perspective, is is noticing that, you know, I, uh, resellers and um, the hybrid uh, ISV resellers as well, you know, those were the ones that really really took a hit. I think it was 40% of resellers saw a decline or no growth, um, but there were zero ISVs in that in that particular category. So I look at that and I think to myself, what what do we need to be doing better as ISVs and as partners to make sure that we're not leaving resellers behind, right? I mean, obviously it's a it's a competitive market and everyone's trying to to get what they can and and stay afloat, but we don't want to be in a position in a in a couple of years where there's no no resellers left or only a couple of them and there's only a few ISVs left because the only uh, way to grow is is through consolidation. So I don't think that's good for the market. I don't think that's good for consumers. I don't think that's good for retailers. We want a thriving a thriving channel, right? So um, you know, just just looking at that and starting to think about you know what could we be doing better to make sure that uh, or to help our resellers be more resilient during a time like this. And it it may be things like we just had mentioned, uh, making sure that we're offering technology that allows them to uh, to thrive and to pivot. Um, you know, certainly being quick to react on our 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 end, right? To to help them out, uh, but that really stood out to me. You know, again, I just don't want to be in a position where you know we were you know all of these great independent resellers that are working uh, close hand in hand with their customers and providing great service can't weather this kind of storm. Whereas we're left with <laughs> we're left uh, doing okay, but no resellers to uh, to work with anymore. So that that really jumped out jumped out at me. Got it. Interesting. Hunter, what's your take uh, on that? I guess, you know, Josh is talking about the interconnectivity of this channel, right? You can't just look over and go, well, they're struggling, but I'm doing okay, because eventually that's going to impact you. What's your take on uh, Josh's observation? Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I, you know, um, very interesting, that metric around the ISVs and how they seem to have weathered um, the last year in, in you know um, more positively at the broad level than than the other segments I think um, you know with with um, th there's some interest about um, uh, I think at the ISV level you you have businesses that are projecting um, some significant growth and so I wonder also if you know what their real performance would have been if it was not um, you know, if it was not a pandemic year. And so, you know, did it take, did they adapt and survive and keep their head above water? Or did they take a hit? It's just that their growth rate is so significant that it didn't drive them negative. Exactly, yeah, good point. 
Um, and that's the one thing we aren't able to go in really deep behind the numbers and get into each individual because the survey can only be so long. So we get a lot of those top line. The way that I view this is it's like, uh, you know, going to get your checkup. Right. You know, the doctor can, you know, tap your knee he can you know, check your heart, do some blood work. This thing isn't like we totally open up and right. You get in and get to see uh, every aspect of it. But like the data point uh, that we're talking about right now. So we asked um, for our solution providers to break down their sales actuals um, in terms of what was their revenue growth uh, in uh, 20. Um, I'm sorry, I'm looking at uh, right now, I'm trying to scroll around and do two things at one time um, from a sales growth standpoint. And we saw no ISVs, none of the ISVs had a decline in sales. 24.5% of the resellers had a decline in sales and 39.9% of the hybrids did. And so that really did jump out. There are more hybrids, there are more folks who are adopting that, but the, the folks who are only ISVs are the ones uh, who really you know, didn't take a, a step backwards you know, uh, during during the pandemic. So, all right, uh, Hunter, back to you. Uh, keep the open-ended conversation going. What's another item besides the two that we've talked about already uh, that jumped out to you from the survey you felt was important? Um, so I think um, I get interested in some of the statistical side of it. And so for me, the 37% drop in participants, while it's still, um, I, I think a good number of participants and gives us, uh, you know, some relevant statistical data, it is interesting to me that there's 30% fewer. And then particularly if you look at that combined with the drop in the reseller participation, you, you, you took a, or uh, the survey took a hit on um, the number of resellers participating pretty substantially. And so, you know, I, I do believe um, in looking at some of the theses for why that occurred, I do believe that uh, uh, speaking from personal experience, people are less uh, excited to uh, report on a down year than they are to report on an up year, that's for sure. Um, you know, but the, the thing that also really jumps out to me on that statistical conceptual side is this has traditionally been sort of a one-year look back, and it's always been sort of year-over-year -year comparisons that you've done now. You've done it for long enough that you, you really present a, a lot of year-over-year -year data there. But this is the first time when I'm really walking away thinking for next year, you know, is there a way that you can capture some, some performance data versus, you know, pre-pandemic? And that, you know, that to me is interesting. Got it. Thank you for that. And just to get into some of the specifics that Hunter was talking about, last year's KPI study, we had 131 solution providers. So it's VARs, ISVs, and these ISV VAR hybrids participate in the study. This year dropped to 83, so 37% down. And the reasons that we speculated, we thought the least likely was the total number of channel companies shrank. So it didn't shrink that much. Like some people went out of business, but we haven't heard about mass attrition by any means. Uh, we've also seen response rates to B2B surveys have dipped during COVID, we thought that impacted it. But like you said, we've, we've really seen, if folks have good news to share, right, they're more than willing to share. But if it's really bad, they're gonna be like, I'm not gonna relive it. And I know Josh is a basketball fan. I can say, uh, so I'm now 51. So what is this, going back 33 years? I still haven't watched my last high school basketball game where we lost uh, in our conference championship. Like I can't handle reliving that. <laughs> Your people can't reliving, uh, can't handle reliving their entire uh, year as well. So. Um, although, Josh, I'll get your thoughts, not on my basketball career. I'll get, get yeah. your thoughts on Hunter. <laughs> at and, 51, if you're uh, going back and just watching your high school basketball games, there might be something else. <laughs> it's true. That just, that'd be a separate problem if I'm engaged doing that. Good point. Yeah. But, I mean, you're right, Hunter. We, we saw the, the same thing, though. I mean, with the surveys that we do internally, as well as uh, actually working with Jim doing our customer health checkup um, early in the year as well, that just responses in general have been down. So, you know, certainly in, in, in the coming years, you know, you're, this, this year is going to be a statistical outlier and, and we may have to do some smoothing around that to make sure that the, the data is still, still relevant. But it, it is going to be really interesting when you do this next, uh, next survey, you're really going to start to see, you know, again, what businesses have weathered the storm, which ones have pivoted, which ones are doing well now. And, and uh, you know, you're going to have the, sort of this clear line of, of COVID like in, in any industry um you know kind of the before and after right you know what it looks like before uh before covid with all this great data that you've got and then afterwards you know, you're really gonna have to take a take a look at everything again and and uh dig into the into the details yeah you know theoretically 
you know, I think what we see a lot represented here and in the discussions is we're, you know, we're on the downside of of the impact. And so w with high hopes that we're at the bottom, but I think we're still pointing down to a degree. And so um, conceptually, at some point we turn and go back up. And so I think there's almost as much opportunity or maybe even more opportunity there for individual businesses to find their unique recipes for success to, to capitalize on the opportunity in the upswing just as much as some capitalized on the downside. Exactly. And people are going to have to find where their niche is, where their avenue is, where they can can take advantage of it. It might not be as obvious uh, to them. So before we turn mm -hmm. to Josh and asking for the last thing that jumped out to him, just to kind of button up this point here and share some of the stats behind it, we mentioned about uh, the number of folks uh, who participated in the survey uh, this year where we said it was uh, 83 that it dropped to. I do want to say, when we first did this survey uh, back in 2016, uh, we had 72 people participate. And we were like, yay, 72, never been done bigger. So as it keeps growing every year, when it does go down, you kind of do kind of do get spoiled. Um, I will also say, uh, to your point, uh, Hunter, so once that in 2020, 51% of the VARs uh, said they had an under 5% growth rate, all right? So that's either they, you know, less than five or zero, or they declined. So that's not great. But back when we did the survey in 2016, 65% of the VARs who participated had an under 5% growth rate. So it seems really crazy that half a decade later, in a pandemic, VARs can perform better than maybe they did five years ago. So I think we have seen a lot of uh, maturity and improvement in, in the VAR business model, no doubt about it. So, all right, Josh, before we take a commercial break, uh, one, and then after the commercial break, I want to talk about some of the data points that jumped out to me. Um, what, you know, what is the last thing that jumped out to you from this study that you want to share? Well, I was also really interested in, in those uh, hybrid ISV VARs. Uh, again, it looks like they were really hit hard uh, by the pandemic, seeing a decline or, or flat sales in, in I think 60% of the, the uh, people that responded, right? Um, I wonder, you know, when we think of these, these hybrid ISV bars, are we talking about a reseller that is creating add-on features, integrations, ancillary products or services onto sort of their core products? You know, it could be a uh, delivery system or, or text coupons on their, their core restaurant POS. And, they're, they actually seem like they are more exposed when there's a turndown like this, because then not only have they invested money in this this new product that they're developing, but they're only selling that product when they sell their core point of sale uh, solution. So I'm wondering how, and this is maybe an interesting question for, for Hunter, is how these uh, hybrid ISV VARs, how do they unlock the value in their intellectual property um, independent of sort of the traditional products that they are reselling so that they can continue to sell that thing when they're not selling, you know, restaurant POS or standard point of sale solution, something like that. Uh, that, that is an interesting question for Hunter. <laughs> it is an interesting question. <laughs> well, I think you hit it on the head is that um, those hybrids um, and, and that's, you know, for those hybrids, what is their lead or their flagship product? Is it a POS product or is it, you know, something that's ancillary to the POS product? And so for me, that's how, I um, reconciled that concept that, you know, the ISV 0% had the decline, you know, 24.5% of resellers and 39.9% of the hybrids had the decline. To me, that was that was the ones that are going hand in hand with the POS side of it. You know, mm -hmm. they're riding both of them down. You would have hoped to see them somewhere in the middle, right? Where they're, you know, yes, the sort of standard reseller business has taken a hit, but they're kind of kept up with the ISV portion of the business, the software development portion of the business. But yeah, they must just be ancillary products to what they're doing already. Yeah, and and you ask yourself at a high level, um, you know, what's the strategic goal of being a hybrid over a reseller? Is the strategic goal, you know, th and there can be several, but if one of them is to um, um, limit risk exposure on the product side of the reselling model, um, you know, maybe for those, for some, it was not successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Looks like they were overexposed in this case, so, yeah. Yeah, and I'll say this, so we won't, again, it's hard to do in a podcast format. Let me share all these numbers with you. So, again, I encourage everybody to, to download the report. But this is not just a one-year wonder for the uh, ISV VAR hybrids, right? They have not had massive sales or massive profit 
increases. Now, you know, when we, you know, we run this survey, we don't have five years of data on that. We only have about two or three years of data because it's a more, you know, newer concept. We didn't feel comfortable sharing the numbers when we only had, you know, eight people participating in it. But now that it's growing and growing and growing, I'm just, I'm, and Hunter, I guess, you know, curious for you because you're involved in an ISV, you know, and you're a VAR as well. So it is a little bit different there. I'm curious, like, do you think it's like ready to break out or is this going to be one of the things of these individuals have to figure it out on their own and maybe figure out how to balance selling versus developing a product, which Josh, I'm guessing, because you guys are mature, you've figured that out. Like you have a more mature product. So you've got your, your sales channel going. I guess, Hunter, do you see it that way that maybe it's just a matter of time because these are, they're spending so much time on their product or what's your take on that? Um, well, I think that part of it is around what your what the reseller's um, distribution footprint is. Many resellers have a geographic focus. Um, and so if you're doing business, for example, my reseller business, I I'm, tends to have a larger geographic focus, but I have offices in New York and Philadelphia and Southeast Florida. You know, for me within the umbrella of my reseller business to go and, and convert that individual business to hybrid, to to drive product development to sell only into that geographic footprint tends to be a less efficient go-to-market strategy than trying to figure out a way that if you're going to make the investment in you know in in R&D or product development side how to maximize that distribution you know somewhat nationally um, and so that you know it can depend on what product it is what the type of reseller is and things like that but to me that's you know that quite frankly the the isv project that i'm involved in it's a collaboration of a group of resellers and the reason that that it is constructed in that fashion is because that's how we can drive efficiencies and drive you know roi is that for any one of us to do it individually in the specific areas that we service would would not be efficient mm -hmm. interesting josh last word before we take a commercial break uh anything you want to comment on what hunter just said that was an interesting point for sure no that, that certainly is an interesting point and uh i guess i take some satisfaction in in um in resellers developing products and realizing how hard it is to uh to develop the sales channel because that's what I do uh, all day obviously talking to resellers and trying to get them out there representing our products so I take some satisfaction in uh, in resellers realizing you know how difficult it is to really build that channel and, and get other people uh, representing and selling your products I, I will uh, tell you that I've been involved in our ISV project for uh, it's just about to come up on two years and the biggest thing that I have gotten out of the last two years is a deep appreciation for every vendor partner that I've ever dealt with over the prior 20 years. Yeah. And this is the analogy I use. So manage it for managing a reseller channel. And I remember this is we had a young sales rep and he was going to, and he was really high performing, um, you know, show up early, work hard, study, improve himself, great emotional control. You could trust what he was going to say. He was moving into sales management and he went to another sales manager said, any advice for me? And he said, understand you won't be managing a team of yous. You'll be managing a team of people who act far differently from you, and that's why I think a lot of these ISV, hard, uh, you know, these VAR ISV hybrids, they think, well, all these resellers are going to act like me, and then you're like, oh, they're actually less efficient than me, or less dedicated, or less whatever, and they're like, oh, I never didn't know I was quite signing up for this. So, um, I, I won't let you guys comment on that. I'll, I'll be the one that somebody can can write and complain about. Yeah, I don't want you to step into that. So, all right, well, let's. this is a perfect time for us to pause and let our listeners and viewers know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. Annual memberships for VARS start at just $250. That's US money, uh, Josh. Uh, $250 a year for dozens of high value services, including access to a legal advisor, a security advisor, and a VAR and ISV business advisor, exclusive e-learning programs for the RSP Academy, discounts on business services, and a college scholarship program for the families of RSP members. Vendors and software developers can benefit and I guess uh, ISV VAR hybrids can benefit from an RSP membership as well through introductions to reseller and ISV members and by showcasing their solutions through the exclusive RSP Solutions Center. Accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. Also, thanks to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star and Shift 4 Payments. Our gold sponsors are Heartland and Blue Star. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. And finally, 
Don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2021. That's July 25th through 27th in Nashville. Retail Now is where the industry meets. Again, registration open now for uh, Retail Now. Really looking forward to getting back together. And again, just a reminder, if you want your own copy of the 2021 RSPPOS channel KPI study, which we've been discussing, go to the website we just mentioned, rspa.org. Either click on blog or search for 2021 KPI study. All right, so a few other data points that jumped out to me, um, and I want to get both your opinions on these. So first, as you know, Hunter mentioned, this is the fifth consecutive year that we've done this report. It's also the fifth consecutive year that we've seen that increase in the number of ISV VAR hybrids who are taking part in our survey. And the biggest jump we've seen was from last year's report to this year's report. So 14.5% of our survey respondents in 2020 classified themselves as a VAR ISV hybrid. That jumped to 18.3% this year. That's about a 4% jump. So I've been hearing anecdotally that many VARs feel that to survive in today's changing channel, they have to add their own intellectual property to their software. And so, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I guess, Hunter, if you could dive into that a little bit deeper in terms of as a reseller part of an ISV, you know, um, and, you know, then Josh, you've worked with a lot of ISVs, I guess, dive in a little bit more in terms of that business model. You talked about some of the difficulties, Hunter, from a distribution standpoint, but if a reseller comes to you and says, I'm looking to do this, what would you say to them? What's your, your general take on this trend? I, I think it's very positive, particularly as you think about the transition to um, recurring revenue models and the idea that the customer relationship um, is no longer as front-loaded as it was, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago um, from the financial modeling of it, you know, the idea is that um, for the success of that recurring revenue stream, you have to have a long-term relationship with the customer. And traditionally, the reseller model you don't own the product side of that. And so that's a tremendous risk factor. And so no longer is the, is, is the dynamic of that risk about, you know, oh, you know, am I or am I not gonna be able to sell a product and earn this bucket of money next month? Now the dynamic is, am I gonna be able to continue to sell this monthly subscription for the next three, five or 10 years and continue to earn the, the you know the fruit of my labors in originally selling that customer and so you know at some in some level um you know i think i think resellers um are driven to mitigate that risk and and what wh whether you however you get control or gain um a greater um uh, presence in the product side is, is key to that yeah, and Hunter, just to follow up on that, again, just like I'm not going to relive my final loss to Sharon Christian Academy in our conference uh, <laughs> championship, um, you know, you've been in business for 24 years. Can you think just like what's the ballpark number of how many of your vendors have been acquired or gone out of business or had some significant management change that radically impacted your business? Can you even count how many that would be? Uh, you know, it, I can simply tell you that it is so many you know, that I feel like I have not learned my lesson as well as I should have a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. First time, shame on them. Second time, shame on me. When you're up to 27, you're just kind of like, why you're am I not lost. picked up on this? Uh, Josh, your take on uh, ISVs, uh, this ISV VAR hybrid thing, or is it more for you? Hey, as long as you're developing a software that's not going to replace ours, knock yourself out. Yeah, it's it's interesting actually, and I'm uh, somewhat surprised that it's it's a bit of a newer trend. So, you know, we've had I, I think of one partner in particular that has been developing solutions on top of ours for you know, really 20 years, uh, to the point that they operate in a, in a niche market. But to the point that I I actually don't even have a solution for that market without them at this point. Hmm. And you look at that and you you think, well, man, I really like to have that code. I really like to be able to do that ourselves, but if we're expecting the reseller to you know invest in our business and grow with us you have to give them an opportunity to to really do that and now we are really partners at this point right we need them they need us you know so you know i, th I think it's interesting though that it's it's somewhat of a newer trend i'm surprised people weren't doing it it more in the past um there's also most of the resellers though that will use our apis and that will will do development and, and add those ancillary products uh, are not thinking strategically and they're they're looking for kind of just that that quick solution 
it will be something like they need some particular feature attached to our product, but um, you know, we're six months out in our development queue. We can't get to it for a while. And they're like, well, I really want this sale. I'm going to get some third-party development. We're just going to add this widget, right? Just to kind of get that stopgap. But it sounds like, you know, Hunter, what you're saying is they really need to be looking more strategically and say like, if, if I'm developing this thing, I need to be looking at something that's going to be bringing in recurring revenue for me on the, in the long term, not just this quick hit for this one product, because that's exactly the thing you're trying to get away from as uh, as a hybrid, right? Uh, correct, and and building that relationship that will survive the longevity of that subscription model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. We had uh, RSP has a niche and startup ISV community, which both of you know about because you're you're members of it. But one of the most interesting conversations was, what do I do when a customer or a reseller asks me for a tweak? To the product the modification and some folks talked on there about their process and other people are like i hit them with a baseball bat like no we don't want to make any changes right and so if you're able to go and do that on your own and then truly partner with that isv down the road that can help i know of one isv i'm not going to mention it because i don't want to get into all the details specifically who it is but i know they call some of their folks distributors and those are the folks who've built the software on top of it and then they go to market with kind of the two softwares uh together it's a true partnership and they're working with somebody right now to go to market with something for the cannabis vertical so they don't have to take it all on internally and can actually get to market faster with somebody who can be uh closer to that niche uh that niche vertical so all right, all right, so wanted to talk about that. Another headline in our report says, expect significant M&A activity among ISVs and hybrids in 2021 and 2022. I hope nobody's driving right now. They're gonna like drive off the road, like no, not more uh, acquisitions. We don't want any more of that. So the specific survey question was, over the next 24 months, what's your company's plan related to acquisitions? Do you plan to either A, acquire another company, B, do you aspire to be acquired, or C, neither? And so 33% of the ISV VAR hybrids said that they plan to uh, plan an acquisition, while a quarter of them, 27%, said that they aspire to be acquired. So if that turns out to be true, that means that hybrids not engaging in a merger or acquisition over the next 24 months will actually be in the minority. So, and the report also shows that none of the ISVs surveyed uh, plan an acquisition of their own over the next two years, but a quarter of them are interested in selling if the right offer comes along. So, Josh, I want to hear from you first, and then Hunter, your viewpoints on what the channel can expect in terms of mergers uh, and uh, and acquisitions. And, you know, Hunter, I guess I should also, you know, we talked about a, a good question for you. A good question for Josh right now is, you know, are you up for sale? There's a one in four chance. The answer is yes, according to the, uh, the study. So. Yeah, you don't, you don't have mean, to answer that question. Yeah, obviously I get in trouble if I spoke to any specifics, but uh, but no, I mean we're certainly open to acquiring a company that gives us you know a strategic ad advantage, especially as a Canadian Canadian-based company operating throughout the U.S. There's certainly some benefits to to that. Uh, with that being said, it's it's interesting. I've actually been approached by uh, multiple large resellers that you know I've 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 spoken to them. They're they're not a partner with us currently. They like us as a company. They're interested in our products, but they're not looking to to make that that massive switch into a new new solution just yet. Um, but what they they are doing is they're saying, well, you know, look, if you have any uh, older resellers that are looking for an exit strategy, you know, in, in regional markets, you know, introduce them to us. You know, we will take on your product, but we don't want to, you know, have to go through the process of learning it and building up the uh, building up the knowledge in our of our staff and and earning those those hard-fought first first wins, uh, they say, well, well, we'll buy one of your older resellers that has you know a customer base and is looking to get out, and and that'll be sort of the segue to us uh, us working together. So these larger, more successful resellers have been have reached out to me on occasion, looking for kind of sniffing for those opportunities. So that's been interesting to me. Uh, you know what? I filled it not from an AutoStar perspective, from an RSP perspective, that as well. I get way more, hey, we're looking to buy some folks than I have, we're looking to to sell. How can you help me out? Yeah, so some of those uh, uh, resellers who are in good financial shape are looking to see if they can they can pick somebody up. And somebody alludes to that in the last question of our of our survey where we ask about opportunities and some folks identify that. So, uh, Hunter, mm -hmm. I turn to you and get your perspective on uh, M&A from a VAR, ISV, and hybrid standpoint. You know, the, that question was very interesting to me, and I, um, you know, was thinking about it. I think almost that that's the other side of of the risk mitigation discussion. That um, 
you know, how, how do you, uh, you know, remove all risk, sell your business. <laughs> um, but you know there was uh, i was talking to a, uh, a friend a mentor of mine about a transaction that recently happened and i was surprised by it because you know the 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 person who sold i was really never would have thought that he was looking to sell at all and my you know my friend said to me you know look maybe you know that owner was looking three years or five years down the road and and you know and he saw that the business wasn't going to look like what it looks like today and that the the path forward that he saw was to do that transaction you know and and i thought that really you know that really resonated with me that um you know the the other thing too that i think is very interesting that that i had learned a long time ago was that particularly on the smb side the likelihood that an smb owner um is going to sell their business at exactly the time that it is worth the most is basically zero you know that you're either going to sell your business um you know before it hits peak value or you're going to sell the furniture and so you know i, I think that's an, an interesting dynamic as you see what's going on in the industry that there may be people that are thinking that while um they, they previously might not have thought of an exit they now think you know now's that that's a safe and realistic outcome for them at this point in time. Got it. And I'll throw it out to both of you. Like sometimes I'm hearing not from a million folks, but from some folks who are saying like, man, this business was a lot of fun to do before. It's getting so much harder now. And I don't know if I want to do this for another five years or 10 years or something. So maybe I'm not getting the maximum value, but it might be good to hand it off to somebody and actually become a salesperson for them, right? Or their customer relationship manager. So does either one of you want to touch that one in terms of that some folks are saying, I've been doing this for 30 years, 40 years. I just don't want to do it for 45 or 50 years. I think that's absolutely the case from, from conversations and things that I hear from people. That's, you know, that, that's, that's a, a theme that's out there. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you're looking at the challenges uh, coming out of COVID and are you pivoting and, and uh, looking to, to grow over the next couple of years and go after those opportunities. It's going to be a lot of work if you're not hungry. Um, you know, you're right. Maybe it is time to, uh, to get out. It comes yeah. back to a, a core strategic thought about if you think about, you know, we went through change and it's reasonable to think that, you know, as we talked about going through the upside, there's future change to think about that strategically and how you're going to navigate that. And, and if you're meant, mentality is oh i'm just going to do the same thing that i've always done i'm you know personally within the management of my businesses i'm not thinking i'm not feeling very comfortable with that thought <laughs> you know that, that it is uh, definitely time to think about what is changing and how we are going to adapt and again that that's you know for, I, I agree wholeheartedly that for some people the the best way to do that is to to exit yeah yeah what, what is it when the rate of change outside your organization is faster than the rate of change inside the end is near i know that sounds like a terrible thing to say but it just means you better pick up the pace but if you're not willing willing to run that fast anymore and you've more hit a wall just like a lot of runners do um mm -hmm. yeah that might that might be an option to uh to explore so and it sounds like josh knows some people who are ready to buy uh yeah. so uh, if, if you're in that spot let us know um all right a couple more questions for you my favorite channel topic is not m a it's the as a service recurring revenue business model. And so I can remember when I could count on one thumb the number of POS resellers who are aggressively embracing this business model and their name rhymed with Punter Gallon, right? Hunter, you were the one that I knew of who was really going after the as-a-service uh, business model. So one of the questions in the, the survey was, one year from now, where do you plan to be in the transition to the as-a-service recurring revenue business model? So 32% said they plan to be completely transitioned. That means like 85 or more percent of their revenue is recurring. 25% said they'd be mostly transitioned. 18 said they'd be, 18% said halfway transitioned, 17% partly transitioned, and 8% said they'd be barely transitioned. So this is the first time in our history of this study that the bar graph, if you line them all up, look like a ski slope where every category is more recurring revenue exceeded every other category that had less recurring revenue. And so Hunter first, again, because I know you're on the forefront of this, I'm curious your reaction to these recurring revenue business numbers. Are you saying hallelujah? Or are you saying, well, it's about time, right? Everybody got up to this. What's your take? 
my uh, my note on the question that I prepared here is that the horse is finally drinking the water. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can lead a horse to water and make him drink. All right. I love it. Very well said. Josh, your take on that before I ask Hunter to expand even more. What's your take uh, from this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. It's about time. Uh, we've been saying this. We've been seeing it at, at RSPA events for for many, many years, right? It's, and, and we've looked for ways that we can help our, our resellers to build their, their recurring revenue. Um, you know, and Jim, you and I have even had conversations about this, I think, in the, in the past as well as you know, they needed to be doing this years ago. You know, if you're starting now, you're going to be going to be in trouble. Uh, but yeah, it's great, great to see. And uh, I'm actually speaking with an uh, uh, employee of one of our resellers that is looking at going out on their own. You know, it's, it's amicable, but they're they're going to be moving out on their own, starting their own business. And this is the thing I'm coaching them on as we kind of go through their business plan together is you know, how are you going to build this recurring revenue? And you love your customers, you love providing service on site, but look, we got to Got to make sure you're sustainable and you're successful, and uh, this is a big part of it. Got it. Very good, Hunter. Anything else you want to add? That was a great line. So you can stop there and drop the mic and leave. Um, well, I, you know, I think the other thing that um, we've touched on over the years that that really really came home to roost um, last year was, you know, the the as a service model that my business adopts is really where um, we're providing the full solution hardware software licensing and services for that monthly subscription fee. And so that model requires us to make the cash flow investment um, to acquire the hardware when we deploy a new customer. And so, um, you know, the way that our business has grown over the transition to this is that we were on, you know, a cash flow run rate of deploying all these new customers, you know, every month that we sort of built into our operating models. And so, when when pandemic came along, and again doing you know doing business in major metropolitan areas of New York and Philadelphia, you know there were significant periods of times when those markets were shut down. You know, mm -hmm. stay home, don't go out. You know, um, restaurant is closed and things like that. And you know, and and the resiliency of that model, we we took an, a a we were impacted significantly in our deployment or selling of new systems. But from the health of the business, our cash flow, we no longer had to purchase all of that hardware. So we remain, from a cash perspective, a very healthy business. It's not our long-term goal to go months and months you know, with drops in new deployments, but it was resilient for what this model presented. And I'm just you know, yet again reinforced about some of the positives of the model. Yeah, I can't think, imagine if this pandemic would have hit five years ago or seven years ago or 10 years ago, where folks didn't have the recurring revenue. Like I didn't shudder to think uh, what it would have been. Cause I can remember it was probably about 10 years ago, Hunter, we were at an RSP Inspire event in a room where people were talking about this. And it was like, the distributors are like, well, who's gonna hold the paper? And the vendors are like, we're not gonna hold the paper. And the resellers are like, we're not gonna do it. And then we're like, what are they talking about paper? Like what in the world, like what, we were such a, an embryonic stage of this. It's really great to see that uh, the vendors have set this up. The vendors and distributors have really set uh, the table for it. And the, the VARs and, and the uh, the hybrids have, have definitely pursued this. So, well, we, so we can talk about this KPI study for hours, but we need to draw the line somewhere. And the last area I want to address with the two of you, hopefully it'll be beneficial for our audience. And then I think also cathartic uh, for me. So every year we ask about marketing spend as a percentage of revenue. And every year we get like the same results that VARs and ISVs don't invest much in marketing. So to give the numbers behind that, about 40% of the respondents spend about one to 4% of their annual revenue on marketing, while another 28% invest five to 9% of the revenue on uh, marketing. And so I guess it's easy for me to spend somebody else's money, but you know the VARs and ISVs who are aggressive with their marketing also appear to be winning the hearts and minds and also market share. And so Josh first, like, what do you make of these marketing numbers? Are my expectations too high? Is it appropriate for VARs to be doing that? What, what's your take on these marketing numbers? Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly always been an issue. Um, you know, even even internally looking at ISVs not not spending that much, we're we're probably closer to the top end of that 28% at uh, you know around 10% or so of revenue. And I can say that as we're actually finalizing our marketing plan this this week, um, super excited we are. We made the decision not to change the amount we're spending. 
but reallocate all that money we used to spend on travel and, and events over the last year and, and put that into digital marketing and, and uh, other efforts, places where we used to like dip our, dip our toe, right? Well, let's put $100 into Facebook ads, you know, like something, some small amount, right? Now we're, we're really going for it. And it's exciting to, to kind of shake things up and, and look at um, you know, additional marketing channels and, and what we can get there. And we know our dealers aren't, aren't, uh, aren't advertising. Um, we budget money every month to try to support them and it's rarely taken, taken advantage of. So we've also gone the extra, extra effort here to do the marketing for our dealers, right? We'll look at a geographic area and we will, we will market on their behalf. You know, we will try to build our brand in a particular market where we've got a good dealer. Um, we will, uh, you know, send mailers on their behalf. We will, you know, just everything we can do to try to drive sales to them. We know they'll do a great job of servicing and supporting their customer once they're in front of them. But uh, you know, as hard as we try, we, we we really can't get them to make that investment themselves and really engage there. So, you know, it's worth it. So we'll do it for them in this case. Okay. All right. So you're just taking the reins. Like if you're not going to steer this car, move out, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it for you because it's like free money, right? They've earned it, and so you're mm -hmm. you want going to do the activity on their behalf of understanding that. It's, correctly. it's good for us. We you know prefer them to uh, to to do it on their own and really engage there. But I mean, in the end, we're making the investment because we you know we're we're gonna see a payoff, right? All right, Hunter, your take on marketing. I'm feeling better talking about it already, uh, if you guys care about that. But uh, what's your take on on these marketing numbers? And um, again, should we be happy with these numbers? Should it be more? Um, I, I think you're 100% right with the idea that those who are investing in marketing are, are reaping the benefits of that. I think that, you know, particularly as we think about, again, that upside turn, I think marketing plays a key role in being able to be successful in that. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right. Well, thank you for that. We used to ask in this study, you know, projections for next year. We still do it for sales and revenue and recurring revenue and things like that. We used to do it for marketing, but every year everybody was like, I'm going to spend more in marketing. And then we get the actuals and nobody would spend more in marketing. But then we'd say, what are you going to do next year? We're going to spend more in marketing. So we just eliminated that question because like, why why fool ourselves uh, if, <laughs> if we're doing that? So, um, all right. Final question for you. Back to the overarching uh, open-ended questions, uh, starting with Hunter and then Josh. So how do you feel in general about the state of the retail IT industry based on what you read in this study and then also your personal experience? Uh, you know, short term, I'm, you know, really hesitant to make any predictions. As as we mentioned before, a year ago, we could have made some predictions and been terribly wrong. Um, you know, but I, I think, um, you know, long term, I'm incredibly optimistic. I think that um, uh, uh, the Adoption of technology in SMB retail and hospitality will continue to increase. I think that we've seen a validation on that over the last year. Um, and, and I think that the, the study shows that there is opportunity for success in that. And that that's, from my perspective, you know, give me an opportunity and the rest is on me. Yeah, if you're going to sell the same old stuff that you did before, eh, your chances might not be so good for the future. But if you're looking to expand in terms of, you know, some of the things that we've talked about, uh, there's an opportunity, no doubt. Yeah, it's, it's the demand that's there. You know, I'm I'm not worried that I'm running a blockbuster video <laughs> store. You know, that that's you know, I don't go to sleep worried about that. But technology is changing, and it is incumbent on me and my teams and and you know, our businesses to adapt and find that success. Got it. Great. Yeah. Opportunities there. You got to adapt. Uh, Josh, uh, your take, what's uh, the state of the industry based on what you read, based on what you've heard? Yeah. I mean, there, there's obvious challenges to be sure, uh, but how can you not be excited by this, this digital transformation? We are solution providers uh, and everyone right now is asking for solutions, right? I mean, uh, if all you sell is a point of sale system and hope to make money off of, you know, recurring revenue from credit cards, things like that, I mean, you, you may be challenged, but if you're ready to embrace some of this new technology and respond to these, you know, small independent businesses that would have never called me before, but are looking at it and saying, man, I, I need to be ready for that next lockdown, or I need to be uh, more resilient to be able to sell online and sell in other channels. Um, you know that that's super encouraging for me, and I'm a bit biased because I'm I'm lucky that we typically operate in the pharmacy and grocery spaces, liquor stores, which have done very very well during the pandemic. So 
I'm a bit embarrassed to, to, to say that with uh, so many people struggling, but yeah, I'm filled with nothing but uh, but optimism that uh, that resellers are going to do very well if they if they want it. Great, wonderful, great to hear from both of you. And that does it for this episode of the Trusted Advisor. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSP YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate it if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSP blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. As we said earlier, that's also where you can secure your own copy of the 2021 RSPA POS channel KPI study. Before we go, big thanks again to Hunter Allen and Josh Wintoniak for sharing their wisdom with us today. Gentlemen, that was absolutely fantastic. Thanks also to RSPA marketing manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. And no thanks to the person vacuuming outside my door uh, right now in the middle of the day. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.